Grace and mercy and peace to you from God our Father and from Jesus Christ our Savior who came at Christmas, who's coming again, and who still comes to us through his word. The whole idea behind a priest is not something unique to the Old Testament or to the New Testament Christianity. You'll find this as a concept that spans all different cultures, all different times around the world, the idea that religion needs to have a priest. And if someone asks you to define what that word means, I don't know, what kind of picture would you use? Uh, back in Latin, even before Latin was a Christian language, back when it was pagan, before the time of Christ, the pagan Roman leaders were called the, the pontifex. We still get the word pontiff today from it. And word backgrounds, etymologies, are always kind of iffy. But if you break down the Latin word for what they imagined their priest was, what it means is bridge builder. Pons is bridge, and to the FX at the end is to make something. So bridge builder seems to be the idea behind the old Latin word for priest. And as people talk about it, the, the best guess is that didn't mean that he was a civil engineer who actually was building bridges. It's the picture that what we need spiritually is someone to build a bridge between humanity and God. And so if right now you get a picture of a bridge in your mind, for me it's the Royal Gorge Bridge out in Colorado. I don't know which one you, you imagine. But that one, it's, you've got these rocky outcroppings, and there's like this thousand foot just chasm in the middle, and people have built a bridge now across the chasm. And spiritually, there's truth to that. And not just Christians have recognized this, that there's something the matter between us and God, like there's this huge divide where there's no way I can cross from my side to him, and how even can God come from his side to me? And if you picture a priest as a bridge, as a bridge builder, then the idea behind a priest is the priest has to have one side very firmly set on the human, the human side of it. He has to know people. But on the other side, the priest needs to have this connection with God, and then the priest spans that chasm caused by sin so that things can go between people and God. From people, that, that everything's made right. Usually, across religions, there's some kind of sacrifice that has to be offered to God to make up for what everyone knows is wrong. Prayers also go from the side of people to God, and crossing the bridge the other direction, God's blessing, the things we need the most, come from God to us, and it comes through this person who's called the the priest or the pontifex or whatever that culture and language picks to describe the person who is an intermediary between people and God. And so far I'd say that's a, a fairly good picture. Uh, there are things in other religions that catch a little bit of the truth. In this case it's someone has to span the gap between me and God. But where all these cultures around the world screw up is how is it, who, what does a priest need to do to be the bridge? And here you can maybe think through how this has turned out horribly. I think of pictures I've seen of Aztec priests in Central America sacrificing humans as their way of trying to uh, bridge that gap with God. Um, even in the Bible times, there's this God named Molech where they would sacrifice kids. It's like, oh, is that really what a priest... Uh, to be. Our culture is more the opposite. 
Our culture, I'm afraid, goes the other extreme of saying there is no chasm. Either because there is no God or because God is my buddy and so there is no gap between me and him. Why would I need anybody uh, to help me in my relationship with God? But now you open up the Bible and starting in the Old Testament, there is again the, 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 the idea of a priest. The Hebrew word is kohen, so it's not, it's not the word priest. Kohen is the, the Hebrew word for it. And back in the Old Testament, God set up as part of the worship life of his people someone who would be the, the priest. And the day that the high priest began his office, it started out with some olive oil being poured on his head. The name for that is being, being anointed. And if you'd ask someone in the Old Testament... What is the picture of an occasion of joy and peace when everything seems right in the world? That moment, the moment the high priest is anointed, comes up. It's actually one of the Psalms. Psalm 133 says this. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robes. Aaron was the brother of Moses and the first of the high priests. All the priests came from his family. This picture of perfect joy and peace being when oil is poured on the head of Aaron and it runs down his face onto his robes the day that he is anointed. Or, to use the Hebrew word, the day he is set aside as a Messiah, as a Christ, as the one who's put in this office by God. And so throughout the Old Testament, You've got, you've got different men filling this role as the ones who are offering sacrifices on behalf of the people for their sins to God. The priests are the ones who are praying to God on behalf of the people. And that blessing that often closes our services, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you, look on you with favor, give you peace. That is the blessing that the Old Testament priests would say on God's people. The ones spanning this gap, serving in a way as... The bridge, even though the Old Testament doesn't use that picture. But, none of those Old Testament priests were perfect. Some of them made it really obvious with the way they abused their office. And just like today there are clergy abuse scandals, there were some of them in the Old Testament too. Not going to tell them in detail, but if you know the story of Eli and his sons... The stuff they did as they serve as priests was horrible. And even if, even if the man who was anointed as a priest did an outstanding job and did everything and had a genuine faith and served the people the best as he could as their priest, then he died. And who knows who's going to come next. By the time of Jesus, this one who ought to be spanning the gap between people and God as a priest it had devolved more into a political position in the power plays that were happening with the Roman government. So being the priest was never what it was intended to be. And so part of the hope of God's people in the Old Testament is that there's not just going to be a priest or a priest and a priest and a priest and a priest as they follow one another in succession, but there would be the priest wrapped up into not just a Messiah, but the Messiah. The one who's going to come and be prophet like none other, king like none other, and 
priest like none other. And now before us tonight is one of the key passages in the Bible that claims Jesus is that one. He is the priest who brings us to God that like, like no one else ever could. He is the one who's perfect and who's whose priesthood lasts forever. So, if you're not there right now, turn back to page 5. And skim through these verses again. As God's Word says, here is how Jesus fits the bill for exactly the high priest we've been longing for. What it is, it's a prophecy and then fulfillment. So, that first line there, you see the quotes at the end? This is a quotation from Psalm 110, which other places in the New Testament also say is directly fulfilled in Jesus. And if you look at that first line, what it is, is this is in the Old Testament, God the Father speaks to the Messiah and says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever, speaking to the Messiah. So then the writer to the Hebrews takes that verse and says, let me tell you how Jesus fits that prophecy as the priest, the Messiah, who's exactly the one that we need. So now skim through the rest. I highlighted, if you pick out reasons why Jesus is the perfect high priest, I've got like 10 of them highlighted here. So skim over it again yourself, and then let me talk you through it, and hopefully you're seeing these as well. Why is Jesus the priest who stands out as different and better? Got enough of a head start? Let me jump in. Let's just go verse after verse. Verse 22. Jesus is better because God put him in office with an oath. Later on it says those Old Testament priests were established by the Old Testament law. Jesus was put into office as priest by the oath of God the Father himself. Later in that verse, it says that Jesus is then the guarantee of a better covenant. The covenant at the time of Moses was two-sided. I will be your God if you keep the law. The problem wasn't with the covenant or with God. The problem was God's people kept turning away again and again and again. They broke that covenant. And so every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Jesus says, this is the new covenant in my blood. And Hebrews picks up on that. The covenant that Jesus brings is better than the covenant that those Old Testament priests could bring. Next verse. Here the contrast is that in the Old Testament, there were many priests. And the reason was because they kept dying. Which isn't surprising. That's what happens to us as human beings. But go to the next line, verse 24. How is Jesus better? Jesus lives forever. Here's where Easter comes in. Jesus died too, but then he rose from the dead and he's never going to die again. And so in the Old Testament, there was priest after priest after priest, many priests, but Jesus rose from the dead on Easter and so we will never need a priest again. He lives forever. And therefore, end of verse 24, his priesthood is, is permanent. All these other human priests, they were temporary. Jesus, who's God and human at the same time, his priesthood lasts forever permanently. Next verse, verse 25. 
Therefore, because that is true, Jesus is able to save us. You see the word there? Completely. Not that the Old Testament priests were bad. God had set them up. They were doing what he'd given them to do. Could they completely, both in terms of the entire sacrifice and forever, could they completely save people? The answer was no. The blood of animals does not take away sin. Those things were pointing ahead to the blood of of Jesus. So you've got all these priests in the Old Testament who are able to serve and God used them to save people, but to save completely, Hebrews says that really is only true of Jesus Christ, the one Messiah. Uh, keep going in verse 25. Who is Jesus able to save? Those who come to God through, through him. He, that phrase, come to God, I think we just take that for granted as New Testament Christians, but in the Old Testament, they had much more of a sense of, I can't just waltz into God's presence. I need a way to get to God as a sinner. Sinners can't come to God. But again, if you use the picture of a bridge, with Jesus as the bridge between us and God, now you can actually drive across the bridge. You can go to God in prayer through Jesus Christ. And it's not a coincidence that most of our prayers that we pray end with the words we pray in Jesus' name or something like that. Because part of the role of a priest is to offer prayer for the people. And without Jesus, how could we go to God in prayer? But verse 25 says, Jesus is able to save now those who come to God through him. And not just he's the one that we go through to pray to God, but the next line says, because he always lives to intercede for them. If you look at prophet, priest, and king, these are not just things from the past. The Bible talks about Jesus still speaking through his pastors and teachers through his church today. Here's a passage that still talks about Jesus as our priest today. He still prays to God for us. So when you sin and you come to God for forgiveness, who is it that's praying to God the Father on your behalf? It's none other than your Savior Jesus. Uh, He's the one who intercedes for us. That's verse 25. 26, right? How is Jesus different in verse 26? He meets our need in a way none of those other priests could because he is holy and blameless and pure. All those other priests were sinful human beings. They had to actually offer sacrifices for themselves first. Jesus is the one who is holy. Not only that, but the end of verse 26, he's not just set apart from sinners, but now as the one who is exalted through his ascension at God's right hand, he is over everything in all of creation, and that's the one who serves as the priest. Verse 27. Because of all that, it's not that Jesus is up in heaven offering sacrifices again and again and again. The difference is Jesus sacrificed for sins one time for, for all time. And what he did was he offered himself. And I mentioned like the Aztec priests or the child sacrifices. There have been cultures that have, have realized the price that needs to be paid is huge. But did God ask us to kill other people as a sacrifice? No, but Jesus instead willingly offered himself as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Being the priest and the Lamb at the same time when he gave himself. 
And so the Bible says that that gift of himself on the cross for us was so big, there never needs to be another gift like that again. No sacrifice is required. That's one reason why in Lutheran churches in America, we'd rather call ourselves pastors rather than priests. Because Jesus is a priest in a way that kind of ends it. Just like we don't need another prophet, we've got Jesus. We don't need another priest. We've got Jesus Christ as the one who offered himself for us. Last verse, verse 28. Obvious difference at the beginning, right? The priests in the Old Testament were weak. Jesus is not weak. In fact, if you look at the last words, what do we need as a priest? It's exactly how it describes Jesus there. We need someone who has been made perfect forever, and that is what we have in Christ. And so what I'm praying for you this Advent series is that you appreciate just a little bit deeper what Jesus means for you. And there are different ways you can say that, but if you look at it in terms of prophet, priest, and king, that's one good way to summarize it. Last week, Jesus the prophet, it's, I look out in this world and people are longing for the truth. Everyone claims they've got their opinion, they've got their take on it. Jesus is the word of God who preaches the truth to us. We need that in him. Next week is going to be, the whole world's out of control. Who is it that has everything in his hands, ruling and guiding everything, the answer is Jesus Christ is anointed as the king. Today it's who in the world can span that chasm between me and God? Who can deal with my sins? Who can pray to God for me and bring me God's blessing? The answer is Jesus Christ, your Savior. He's the forgiveness for your sins. He is the reason you can pray to God he is the one through whom you have all these wonderful blessings. And as prophet, priest, and king, he is the anointed one, or, to use the other words, he is the Messiah, he is the Christ. Amen.